What is up, Brad fans? How you doing? I uh, hope you are staying well, staying healthy, staying safe. Uh, thank you for being here today. It's just me giving you an update on some controversial topics. Unfortunately, controversial topics that have uh, reappeared in my news feed. I have some updated information on them. It, of course, relates to coronavirus. I am talking about the lab leak scenario. Um and lockdowns are they more deadly than the pandemic themselves um i also have an ebola update warning ebola update uh some really interesting ebola news that just came out um so hopefully we can get to all that on this friday afternoon um before we do you know the drill hit us up on twitter instagram at two brad for you leave a comment rate subscribe follow all of those things wherever you get in your podcasts, and you can send us an email, you at gmail.com. That's a possibility. Uh, you can also leave us a voice message, and we will play them on the show, speakpipe.com slash you. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who has reached out. Uh, we will get to your comments. We will play them on air. We will read read out your questions, all of that kind of stuff. Or you can do what our guest in the last episode did, and turn that comment, turn that reaching out into an appearance on the show. Boom. It's just that easy. Um, all right. Then let's jump into it on this Friday afternoon. All right, folks. What are we uh what are we gonna talk about today? What are we talking about? What are we talking about? Thank you, AI. It's good to know he's here today. What are we talking about? Uh, we are talking about the controversial topics, the things that have been, um, I guess I should, shouldn't say they're controversial, but things that have been politicized, uh, rightly or wrongly, I, well, not rightly or wrongly, definitely wrongly uh, polit politicized, and that is the lab leak, you know, whether, whether the SARS came from a lab, and um, are lockdowns harmful, i.e., you know, more harmful than an unchecked pandemic and it's it's unfortunate that these have become politicized and i just want to do a quick aside on that because yeah our we, we we live in polarizing times that's true um and yes the media coverage hasn't been great and there are you know people can point to articles that have been written or the way that the media and i say media you know in quotes the sort of mainstream media sources that we all still uh, rely on um that you know there's there's things out there that that suggest oh they don't want to give these things the time of day because you know uh they're suppressing it or you know because it's associated with trump the old uh trump said it so it must be bad thing and yes that happens uh and it leads to some some shoddy reporting uh which has been pointed out and that is unfortunate that is really too bad but i i have to say and this is my personal take on it um is that yeah this happens you know that that definitely happens um but like 95 percent of what trump said in general and about the pandemic was wrong harmful misleading purposefully so i would say so you have to be like very generous in interpretation in order to say like he was on to something or like he got it right but the media just didn't want to um take it seriously because he said it you know orange man said it i.e bad but most of what he says is bad 
And it's not like he was, you know, out there trying to give people the right information and trying to calm the situation and, um, you know, actually help people. That wasn't the case at all. So let's, let's really not forget that. And, um, this, the people that he was, that, you know, him and the people that were aligned with him, the Fox, you know, news and members of his, his party, the GOP and stuff like this was their strategy. They purposefully set out to cause shit storms and sow doubt. Uh, from the beginning, from his, from when he started his election campaign. So back in 2016, uh, Steve Bannon, the um, troll, and I mean troll in the very literal sense, uh, not just internet troll. The man's a troll. Um, was quoted very early on, you know, in some interviews and stuff, I think once he was kicked out, early on once he was kicked out of the administration, but saying like the goal of the of, of their strategy was to and if these were his exact words, is flood the zone with shit, you know, and make it difficult for the media and the public to know what's going on, keep, always keep them guessing, keep them on their feet, that kind of thing. So I just don't want like people to like 50-50 both sides of this issue. It's like, oh yeah, well, the only reason that uh, Lab Leak isn't getting the, the credence it, it should is because um, Trump said it, and so everyone said that it can't be that, you know, and that he was just racist or something like this um yeah that there, there was a little bit of that but he it was on purpose like we we cannot we cannot absolve trump and those people that were aligned with him pushing all of this kind of stuff this junk for years and then months and months and months in the pandemic uh we can't absolve them of guilt in my mind um, and personally taking the default position of looking at the things that Trump said with a very critical eye and assuming that they're likely bullshit, um, unresearched, uh, meant to cause harm to someone or, you know, simply to protect or benefit himself. You know, that's that's not a bad default position. Obviously, the facts need to be found out and looked at. Um, but pushing back on the dumb shit that that movement says is a good thing. Just don't be overzealous in doing so, right? So, boom, that's my little spiel on that. But let's get to uh, let's get to what we're really talking, what are we talking about. Thank you, AI. Uh, lab leak. So, in the beginning of this whole pandemic, I took the side that this was a naturally occurring spillover event. Spillover event, meaning uh, the virus jumped from animals to humans in some way, you know, bats directly to humans or bats, something else, humans. Um, and that was based on, you know, the papers that were being published by scientists that were saying that uh, there was this famous Lancet letter that's now sort of the motivations, the sort of biases of the authors um, is being called into question. The Lancet is a very prestigious British um, scientific journal. And they basically right away said, it's not... Um, it can't be a lab leak. Uh, anyone who says that is, you know, spreading conspiracy theories, which was a bit of an overstatement for sure. Um, but there was also scientific work being done, looking at the genome sequences and stuff like that, that was trying to show uh, what the evidence was pointing to, whether it was a natural occurring event or uh, a lab leak. And maybe now that um, the doofus in chief is gone, you, it feels like things have calmed down a little bit politically. We can maybe have more 
people are maybe having a more nuanced conversation uh, about this stuff now. Um, so I thought it would be cool to revisit it um, because maybe I've softened my position as well. I still think that it 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 came from a natural event, and and that's simply because you know this ha it happens all the time. Most diseases and diseases and outbreaks we see like this is where they come from. Like it's not it's this is the natural way that this stuff happens. It's just really not that unheard of. In fact, it's usually what what happens and there's an enormous number of bat coronaviruses out there uh, that we know of and so probably even more that we don't so it's it's just really no stretch um, that this was just a, a virus that popped out of bats into humans via an intermediate or not we don't know um, so that's kind of my default position right um, but the point is, the point I want to make today is that uh, I can't say for certain, and and really no one can. So we're going to have some real classic uh, two Brad for you fence sitting going on here. Um, so there's a really interesting uh, opinion piece written by um, a fella named David Relman, I believe. David Relman, um, scientist at the, I believe it's Stanford Department of Microbiology, uh, Department of Medicine. He's on some infectious disease departments as well. So, you know, pretty uh, uh, established guy in the field. And he points this out as well, that it's like we, no one can really say for certain. And that's the important thing is that we have key missing data points without which neither possibility can be confirmed. So. What do we know and what are these uh, missing data points? We know that the SARS-2 virus has two close relatives that were both found um, in infected miners in a cave in another Chinese province, you know, hundreds of kilometers away from Wuhan. And we know that these samples were taken to Wuhan uh, where they study bat coronaviruses. So these two viral relatives of SARS-2 are close related, like they're the closest relatives we have but they're not that close, meaning that there are other steps in between, uh, other closer relatives that we don't know yet. And this is the key, right? Uh, understanding what these, like finding these sort of missing links in the evolutionary chain. You know, if you think of that classic image of going from apes to humans standing upright, it's like we're missing, we have the missing link, right? That, that, that's, phrase that we've used uh, for human evolution right we don't know exactly how it's it they're all related uh, and there's a bunch of steps in between that we don't know so this is you know with we, we, we'll call it like finding the parents right finding the parents of this virus is um is important we have like a distant relative in these two samples uh, that we know were in the wuhan lab um, but we don't have the in-betweens and that will be really really important Second, it looks like the virus wasn't engineered, we'll say. So again, I defer to the experts in virology and genetic sequencing and all of that kind of stuff. And from what I see, those people say that there's no evidence to, to point to it being uh, engineered, for example. And I mean, engineered is, I'm sort of using that to like specifically say like it was built it was built from building blocks of other viruses put together in a specific manner on purpose in order, you know, for nefarious reasons. 
um, for example, the mutations that make it different than its two known relatives that we have are kind of spread out across the genome in a random way. And that suggests a natural evolutionary process um, that has separated these relatives, these viral relatives over time, rather than sort of a deliberate tinkering. You might expect to find more mutations in blocks and chunks and segments, um, which meant, you know, we took apart from here and, and mixed it with this one and, and really sort of built it. Um, again, we can't rule that out with the missing data that we have. It's possible that they did do that uh, with other viruses that we just don't know about. Um, another thing that we do know, though, is that SARS looks like it's the result of a recombination event. So the combination of two strains. So this is a normal process that viruses do. If two viruses meet, whether that's in a lab or in a host in the wild, they can mix and they can create a new virus. And it looks like SARS-2 is, is exactly that. And again, defer to the experts in, in viruses and recombination, genetics, all that kind of thing. Um, and it looks like, you know, there's parts of if we sequence it and see, you know, this part of the genome looks like it's more closely related to, I think of, you know, like it was the pangolin virus. And this part is more related to a virus that comes from somewhere else, right? So this having this strong link to two different strains indicates that it's it's been recombined. It's a mix of two strains. Now, again, we don't know exactly what two strains. We don't know exactly who the parents are. Um, this is where you get that uh, people are talking about this uh, furin site, if you've heard of that. So this specific site in the virus that helps it get into human cells. And the two bat relatives that we have doesn't have this. It doesn't have this mechanism, doesn't have this gene to, to perform this function. So it's like, oh, well, how did it get it? Well, it could have been recombined with a virus that does have it. Now there are coronaviruses that we know of that do have that site. So it's not unheard of that that could happen, again, either in a lab or in the wild. We don't know. But finding those parents, the, the parents that combine to make this one is, is really key. And that's the point that David Relman makes, is that we don't, without this information, we can't say one way or another. But this is the information that we should be focused on finding, and we should be looking at all possibilities uh, in order to do that. Now, unfortunately, China's going to China, and whether we get that, the information from what strains they had in their lab or not uh, remains to be seen. I'm going to say probably not. It could equally be, though, that we could find these um, in the wild. You know, we could find these two strands, we could sample them from animals in the wild uh, and say, oh, okay, you know, this is, you know, it, it occurs in this bat, which, you know, lives by Wuhan or not, or it, we found it in this pangolin, um, and it looks to be one of the parents, and then you could sort of piece together how these viruses might have come together in the wild. Maybe it's a pig, maybe it's a, um, I don't know, a hamster or something. I don't know, I'm just throwing things out there. Now, but the point is, is that if you found these um, these two viruses in the wild, you could then, you know, build the pathway uh, to how it uh, jumped jumped into into humans. 
But again, without knowing the parents, we, we can't say either way, right? And without knowing what sequences were in the Wuhan lab, we don't know if they already have the parents. Um, they could have, maybe they had the parents in the lab and they specifically recombined them to see, you know, doing the so-called gain of function research, right? Um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, there's a lot of ethical uh, issues with that. So this is when we do research on viruses uh, in order to make them more infectious, make them more deadly in order to sort of predict what might happen so that we can uh, try and build um, treatments and stuff like that um, sort of in advance to be more prepared. And recombining viruses is one way you would do that. So, for example, you know, we talked about this furin site that makes it really easy for uh, the virus to get into human cells. If you found a SARS virus that had that um, and another one that didn't, but had some other features that you would be interested in, you might recombine those to say, okay, well, let's look what happens when we recombine them and maybe it'll be, you know, this better virus. Um, it could also happen accidentally in a lab. There was uh, in an Undark article, Undark magazine, they wrote an article about the politicization of this. Um, and, you know, the, the Relman piece in this article I will link to in the show notes. Uh, and they talked about that too. Uh, they in interviewed one um, virologist who said, you know, this kind of stuff happens in a lab where you just, you know, you, you can't get perfect containment and sometimes your, your samples mix and you end up with something that you didn't um, want or expect. Uh, so if even if it did happen in a lab, it doesn't necessarily point to nefarious reasons, right? Or again, it could be gain of function research, which again, doesn't necessarily have to be nefarious, but you can agree or disagree with whether we should do that. So point being, without knowing who the parents are, it's very difficult to say either way. And we're stuck with this sort of different people leaning in one direction or another saying, you know, yeah, while all the scenarios are on the table, I think the evidence points more to this one than the other. Uh, you know, Occam's razor will say this or probability will say that. Uh, but I don't think, I don't think you can really say that, you know, at least not me. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just one Brad here with a microphone, um, trying to give you some insight into the debate and what's going on, but you can make a case for both. And so to me, then it's super difficult to say one is more probable than the other, you know, just for example. You know, one of the one of the points people will say is, you know, this virus was so well suited to infect humans from the get go. Uh, when we first saw it, you know, it had this this furin site and this really strong binding to the to the ACE two receptor in humans. So it looks like it was like designed like for 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 humans. So it's got to have been manipulated, right? It's got to that's got to be a purposeful thing done in the in the lab, right? Well, maybe, but the virus could also have been circulating in humans for a while without us knowing and adapting to the human cells uh, to the point where it then became, you know, transmissible between humans uh, at such a, a, a good uh, clip, you know, it became more transmissible. It became what it, what it became, right? That's possible. That happens. I think we talked about this when we first talked about this, this topic is that the MERS Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, also a coronavirus, it, it, when it jumps from camels, I think it's camels into humans, it can 
exist in humans for a little bit and spread here and there. Uh, but it doesn't become a full-blown outbreak because it's not perfectly suited yet. But if you have enough of those events happen, eventually uh, it can evolve and become, you know, a, a perfectly well-suited human virus, right? So it's possible that there's been these sort of little mini events, spillover events with this SARS-2 or, you know, something that resembles SARS-2 that then became SARS-2 happening and we just haven't seen it, you know, we just don't we don't have those data points. So just because those data points are missing doesn't mean they don't exist. Another one, uh, the bats that carry the related coronavirus don't live in Wuhan. So how did it get to Wuhan, right? Like there's the lab right there. That's one thing. It could have come from the lab. But the bats that carry the related coronavirus, again, because we don't have the missing steps in between, maybe... Maybe there's, you know, the intermediates, the parents, uh, live in animals that are, you know, were found in animals that were more likely to be in Wuhan, you know, or occur along the way to Wuhan in between these two locations. But you would have to sample all the bats and different hosts uh, that this virus can resist, uh, exist in, or, you know, similar viruses can exist in, almost like in a line between uh, the cave uh, in the other province where the related samples were found all the way to Wuhan. And maybe if you do that, if you had like the perfect ability to sample everything, you would find that along that, that geographic spectrum, there's a range of coronaviruses in a range of different animals that could all recombine to make SARS, right? Like that's that's another possibility. You could say, well, that's unlikely or likely, but I don't think anyone really knows. Um, there's a lot of studies that are coming out, not a lot. There's a few studies coming out that I've seen that talk about the, um, the ability of SARS-2 to infect a wide variety of animals. So they're looking at how well it binds to the ACE2, uh, receptor. That's the receptor that it uses to get into the cells, um, in a variety of different mammals. And there's lots, it can exist in lots. So, you know, again we, until we have these parents we we won't really know so um another point uh that i've seen is you know the 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 again relating to this like why wuhan why did it show up in wuhan it must be because the labs there right um the coronavirus that it's related to doesn't exist uh, in bats in wuhan so how did it get there we just talked about a number of different scenarios in terms of animals and stuff uh and the recombined, you know, strains, the parent strains, they might have existed around, in and around Wuhan and other places. It doesn't have to be from where these bats are. Um, but Wuhan is also, according to the media, according to the things I hear and read about it, a huge transportation hub. You know, it's kind of in the middle of the country, a lot of goods flowing in and out, a lot of people flowing in and out, which also makes it a good place for viruses to be brought from different locations, brought together, combine, mix, that kind of thing. So again, we could say, well, that's unlikely. Probability would say yes or no as to whether that is, you know, these scenarios, these alternative scenarios to the, uh, to some of these questions is likely or not. But my point is just that I don't think anyone can say with certainty what it is. 
And so the people that are saying, well, I believe it's this and I'm certain it's this or I'm 95% certain or it's more likely this or it's more likely that, it's really difficult to say, right? And everyone has their own sort of um, agendas for for saying one thing or the other. There's some people that kind of have a more, uh, I don't want to say conspiratorial mindset. I don't think that's fair. And we talked about how the Lancet letter labeling them uh, as conspiracy theorists is unfair. Um, but let's say they're more distrustful of institutions for whatever reason. Um, more distrustful of China. Not not a bad position <laughs> to take. Uh, and I'll get to another point there in a second. Um, and then you have on the other side, you know, people whose life work is to work with these viruses and who feel very strongly that their work is necessary in order to save people from outbreaks to understand more outbreaks and um yeah it, that it's essential work for for human society uh so they don't want their you know lit work labeled as this dangerous thing and they have a bias to sort of push the other side to push the natural side um again my personal opinion i'm going to go with natural just because that's kind of how all of these things usually happen um, but until we have that, until we have clear uh, data from the Wuhan lab, which we're not going to get, like that's just unfortunately, China's not going to cooperate there, um, we won't know. Uh, or until we find, you know, like I said, the parent strains in the wild circulating in animals that, you know, have a probability that they could interact or, you know, we have that sort of pathway laid out for us. So um, final point on China is... Again, they're incent they, I think they have incentive to cover this up. Uh, even if it wasn't a lab leak, Frontline did a great piece on this. So you should check it out about the cover up of the epi of the of the outbreak in Wuhan. And so, just because there's a cover up there doesn't mean that it's a lab leak. You know, the presence of that cover up doesn't just point to lab leak. It could be, but. They have a lot of incentive to cover up, and Frontline goes into that without even touching the lab leak. You can see why they were trying to suppress this and silence this, and it has to do with exposing flaws in their system of government, which is something they don't really like because their whole, you know, society or the you know the control over their society is built on the Communist Party being the best and knowing what's best for everybody and doing the best for everybody. When, you know, it actually show, you know, this shows that cronyism, you know, loyal to the party is better than the truth. And so when something that's damaging to the party, like this outbreak comes up, the instinct is to cover it up rather than, you know, mount a response. Um, so a lot of that kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, I don't have to go into, go into tangent all about that, but that's i think the where where things are at with the lab leak thing so yeah no you're not a crazy person to 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 suspect that maybe it 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 came from a lab but you can't say certainly you know and i and i think that we should look at the motivations of people who are hard in one camp or the other and say well why are you so hard in one camp versus the other and for me, taking a, a, a new look at, at the, 
the data and stuff that's out there, I, as I usually do, fall straight in the middle. I sit so hard on the fence that the crotch of my pants is wearing out that we just don't know. And anyone that's going that's hard on one side or the other doesn't know either. Um, so there we go. Too rad for you on the fence, as per usual. The next thing I'm on the fence uh, about is the lockdowns and whether they're harmful to overall. Um, are they more harmful than the pandemic, I should say? Um, and I came across a nice piece on Twitter by, or sorry, a nice piece on Medium, a blog piece by uh, a guy I found on Twitter named Gideon Mariowitz Katz, who is an epidemiologist at the University of Wollongong, University of Wollongong in Australia. Um, so he writes for The Guardian sometimes, he has a podcast, he's on Twitter, he's an epidemiologist, um, science communicator, and I really enjoyed following his stuff. And he wrote a nice piece on uh, the lockdowns, which again, I will link, I will link to, and this narrative that lockdowns are uh, more harmful than the pandemic itself. Um, I guess we should move away from saying lockdowns. I think language matters. And, um, you know, unless you were in Wuhan or maybe some places uh, in Europe last summer, last spring, last summer, I'm thinking France, Spain, Italy, or even Australia actually had a, like what you could consider like an actual lockdown. Everywhere else we've had health restrictions. We've had uh, health health regulations, that kind of thing. And uh, maybe, you know, people would be upset with me changing the language on that. But I think it's important to say because really we haven't, you've still been allowed to go out and do things. Uh, maybe it's not all the things you want to do. You can't go, you know, bars and stuff have been closed. Restaurants have been closed uh, due to health orders. Yeah, but I don't know. I just, in the event of, or to prevent uh, over-politicizing things. I think language matters there. But anyway, um, and I think the other thing we should note is just that, like, there's this idea that, well, do lockdowns work? Do they not work? Um, you have a respiratory pandemic. It's spread by people breathing on each other. So limiting chances where people are all together in rooms, breathing on each other, it's just a no-brainer, right? Like, and societies have done this um, even without governments enforcing it, you know, when there's a pandemic, people don't gather like that's, there's, that's just animals do it, you know, like there's a, there's, this is just the way it is, right? So whether it's coming from the top or not, those are ways that you break the chain of respiratory infections. So this idea, does it work? Does it not work? There is some studies out there that showed that like transmission, uh, didn't change, uh, because of state uh, stay-at-home orders in the U.S., but that less so uh, points to um, that, that that staying home doesn't work, uh, and more points to people didn't follow the advice. Um, so that's the that's my two cents on that. It's like, yeah, we can debate whether it's it's uh, how much we want to do and how much should be done and all of that kind of thing, but this idea that it doesn't work is just kind of silly in my opinion just look at it logically you know um 
respiratory pandemic, breathing on people, don't breathe on people, avoid crowds, that kind of thing. Like it's just, it's a no brainer really. Um, but let's look at this idea of, um, whether lockdowns are more harmful, right? So it's been a year and we're starting to get some data on this. And I really recommend this blog piece, uh, that I, that I mentioned where I'm getting a lot of these, um, points and some data and, you know, I'll link to it. Um, but the point is, the first point is mortality. So are lockdowns killing people? Are people dying because of, of lockdowns? Um, and it looks like no. So the way that you would look at this, uh, well, one, there's suicide data that's, that's coming out and it takes a while for that to come out. But in places where there was pretty strict lockdowns, like in Australia, uh, there was no increases in suicides during those times. So that's point one. That was a big thing, right? Like all oh, these people are going to commit suicide because the lockdown, um, doesn't look like that happened. It's also, I mean, like it's kind of difficult to know why people committed suicide unless they leave a very detailed note. Yeah, how do you know? Um, but if you just look at increases in the rates of it, of, of, of deaths in that sense, it doesn't look like, uh, that that happened. Um, at least in Australia, we could probably find that in other places, but, um, but also in terms of death overall, you can look at excess mortality. So we have rates of mortality for different places, uh, that we've, you know, you see year after year after year, there's a pretty, you know, it fluctuates obviously year by year, but it's pretty, you know, there's a, there's a level that we would expect to see. Right. And so with excess mortality during this pandemic years, uh, we can see that places with um, lots of COVID-19 cases, there's always excess mortality, as you would expect. There's a pandemic, it's gonna, there's going to be more deaths. But places with no COVID or little COVID-19, even if they have incredibly intense uh, regulations, restrictions, you don't see that excess mortality. So you would think that take out the COVID, take out the same levels of COVID that's causing excess mortality in other places. Uh, you still have a lockdown in place. You, If the lockdown was deadly, you would see excess mortality, but you don't. So there's no, at least at the beginning, uh, as we start to look at this data as it comes out, there's no real reason to think that, at least in the short term, that lockdown equals death or more deaths for people. Now, again, we looked at the suicide data and stuff, and that's not to say that there isn't um, harm to lockdowns, but just death itself is not, does not occur to be happening more because of lockdowns. Um, side point I'll make here too, because we're going to talk about how death isn't the only outcome of a lockdown. When people are talking about, this is another, you know, thing I see, uh, people wanting to downplay the pandemic or whatever, and they're using, well, 99% of people survive from coronavirus. So what's the big deal? I mean, that's like, that's really such a deceitful kind of way of looking at it because obviously 1% of a million is a hundred thousand people. So it's still a lot of people, but it's also discounts that death isn't the only outcome, you know, um, of coronavirus. Even as a young person, if you get, um, 
coronavirus and survive, your chances of death in the next year go up. Um, Nicholas Christakis, a, uh, a doctor and a researcher at, I think it's the Yale or Harvard, he was on a podcast, I was listening to him, he wrote a book about uh, coronavirus, the whole pandemic called Apollo Zero. He was pointing out these facts, and it's a good thing to remember that it's like the the virus can even you know there's long term COVID. We we we've talked about that on this podcast. There's that, but it also just like it's it can wreck your kidneys and and you know some of your other tissues and stuff like that. So it's not great. Like you, you know, death isn't the only factor here. Um. So anyway, that's just a bit of an aside. Uh, when we're talking about lockdowns or the pandemic itself, is that mortality is only one aspect of it. Um, anyway, moving on with the lockdowns. So it doesn't look like there's excess mortality in places where there was lockdown. So it doesn't look like, again, at least in the short term, that lockdowns are creating a whole bunch of extra deaths. Um, suicides and mental health is the next thing. Um, and like I mentioned, it doesn't look like suicide, uh, suicides have jumped. Um, and what, 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 how do I say this? Um, how, looking at mental health, you know, and what, how there's going to be an association between lockdowns and, uh, uh, and mental health is kind of difficult because you can't tease out, um, if you're interviewing people and saying, what's your mental health been like during the lockdown, during the the pandemic or whatever it's is it is it because of being locked down or is it because of the stress of an overall global pandemic you know it's very difficult to tease that out um uh so there was evidence that in places that you know did these lockdowns in in early 2020 that there was increases in depressive thoughts anxiety uh, things like this um but there was also evidence that found that stress suicide and divorce were less on people's minds and I think about, I've talked about this book a lot on this podcast, Tribe, or Tribes, by um, Sebastian Junger, that talks about the phenomenon of when people are in very difficult situations, uh, like the Blitz in London during World War II, or um, the, the war in the former Yugoslavia, uh, they tend to, like, place, uh, mental health issues tend to decrease because people are forced into these crazy situations and they band together and they find community and, and all of these things. Uh, there's a lot of different factors that go into it. Maybe they're just not thinking about the other problems that they have, that kind of thing. Uh, but th that, that's a phenomenon that happens when there's big sort of catastrophe events, mental health seems to tends to go away. Uh, so there's evidence of that during the pandemic and there's evidence that you know people had increased anxiety depressive thoughts things like that again is it is it the lockdown or is it just the general anxiety of a global pandemic you you can't really say right so there's an association between these things but what is the what is the cause what is you know correlation causation that whole thing um the blog piece i'm looking at here notes one study that looked at the association and found uh, lockdowns had an effect on depression, but that was no longer statistically significant if you corrected for COVID cases and deaths. So like, again, just showing that there could be an alternate explanation for, uh, for that rise in any rises you see in anxiety, depression, that kind of thing. 
So it's not that being locked down or restricted or however we want to call it hasn't caused mental health issues. It's that it's really difficult to tease out what's going on. And the final point, and again, it'll be that it's difficult to tease out. That'll be the answer is disruptions to health services. So cancer and uh, health, heart disease are big here. Uh, where people have to go in and get treatment or surgery or they need diagnosis and stuff like this. Are those being delayed and stopped? Uh, are people not getting the treatment they need because of um, restrictions? And there's data saying that people aren't getting the treatment that they need. I've heard anecdotal stories from people that work in hospitals, uh, especially cancer wards, that say that, yeah, we've seen people who didn't get the treatment they need on time and will now die because of that. Or, um, yeah, that didn't get the treatment they need and will now die because of that. But again, is that because they weren't allowed to get the treatment that they need? Or is it that the hospitals were overwhelmed and these departments had to convert to uh, treat COVID patients or... Uh, maybe people were just scared about going uh, into the hospital to get their treatment or to get a diagnosis or something like that, just in general, right? Like, so I don't think there was ever a restriction saying, at least not ones that I saw where here in Germany or in Canada uh, that were like, you can't go to the hospital. You can't go to your doctor. Um, so to, to, to blame that kind of thing on lockdown is it doesn't really make sense. Um and so again, the point is that it's very difficult to tease out all of the motivations of the people that did or didn't go get treatment uh, that they needed. Uh, there's going to be a difference, you know, obviously uh, in places with higher COVID cases versus others. Um, if you were in, a, in an area where the hospital was overwhelmed and they just, they had to cancel those appointments, uh, cancer screening, that kind of thing, then yeah, there's going to be some some people that probably die as a result of that. And we won't know the the true extent of that until years down the line, right? Uh, unfortunately. And so I point this, I, I, I want to make the point too that, you know, if, if this is a point that you're making, so, oh, the, the, the government restrictions have caused all this delay in treatment and stuff. It's like, I would rather, I would I would point more strongly to, overwhelming healthcare leads to that outcome you know so maybe embrace the restrictions a little bit and try to you know not burden the hospitals it's something that i think it seems like we've all forgotten uh, that that's the goal of these things it's you know we're focused again on mortality like i said earlier we're focused on mortality as this um uh sort of the only metric right uh, and then we get lost in these these discussions of, well, it's only old people are dying, and that's not fair to the rest of us, and, and this kind of thing. And um, But the goal is to, to, to stop the, the, the hospitals from being overwhelmed, because then there is all of these knock-on effects that we will see uh, evidence of years down the line. So just like everything that I've talked about so far today, it's important to say that we cannot say one way or the other what the what the the harm of lockdowns is just like we can't say it's a natural 
occurring pandemic or a lab leak, right? There's all of this evidence that needs to be teased out. Like I said, we can say in the short term, it doesn't look like there's an increase of mortalities or suicides coming from these lockdowns. We don't know what the knock-on effects of people losing their jobs and stuff like that will be. Uh, domestic violence increases, that kind of thing. So there is like you can't you can't say 100% that it's not harmful, and you can't say 100% that it is harmful, right? Classic fence sitting. But it's important to to recognize that, you know, because we have to make these in order to make these balance. Like if some if people want to be like, well, we have to be able to, you know, question these lockdowns and 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 come up with a better solution and that kind of thing. Yes, you're right. I agree. Uh, I am experiencing lockdown fatigue as well. I want nothing more than to take my new baby son out and meet uh, his friends and family. Uh, nothing, nothing more in the world than that that I want to do. And I am sympathetic to people who are uh, losing jobs, losing their livelihood. I would argue that this is where we all need to band together and our government needs to support the people uh, that... that from the industries that spread pandemics, uh, schools, uh, well, okay, schools, well, we're not going to go into the schools debate, but um, the hospitality industry, all that kind of thing, like those, we let's support those people, do what we can, and understand that, yes, there's certain things that we shouldn't be doing during a, a, a respiratory pandemic, uh, and that is gathering in those uh, crowds and stuff like that. Um, and I would, I would also want to point out that, you know, this idea, I, I, I do understand that, well, it's just old people or there's a bunch of people that haven't taken care of themselves and they're more likely to die. Yes, they are, you know, obese people, uh, old people. That's true. That is true. And, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate, but I would caution you in, advocating for your society to decide start making those decisions that certain lives are worth more than others that seems to me like a very slippery slope to go down uh and that you don't want to we don't want to be sort of making those decisions i think we should for better or for worse uh try to adapt our policies to save the most lives as possible and all the data is showing right now that getting COVID and dying from it is the biggest threat at the moment, more so than lockdowns and everything else. Again, like I said, it's not that the lockdown restrictions aren't having an effect and will have an effect years to come on employment. What's that going to do to mental health? What? How can you exactly quantify uh, the harmful effects of, of mental health beyond mortality? All very difficult to do, but I don't think we want to start making these decisions because we are tired of not being able to go to the restaurant and stuff uh, on whose life is worth more in in our society. Now, that's just me. That's just my solid opinion on that. All right. Let's get to the last story today. More viral news. Uh, our favorite our favorite virus on this show is clearly not coronavirus, uh, but the Ebola virus. And if you remember a couple episodes ago, uh, Brad and I were talking about 
a study that found um, that antibodies, all of a sudden, antibodies to Ebola virus, all of a sudden um, flare up in survivors. Uh, you know, I think it was like 200 days later or something like that. Uh, and we talked about how Ebola can persist in certain tissues in the body that don't get a lot of exposure to the immune system, the eyes, the testicles, uh, the central nervous system. You know, you get Ebola and Ebola. Hey, yo. Um, we also talked about speculating that, you know, because SARS does that as well. Will we see, you know, sort of antibodies flare up in SARS people or the long, the long haul uh, COVID people? Uh, that's pure speculation on our part. But the new Ebola update, the interesting Ebola news that has come out is that the most recent outbreak that is occurring in Guinea. Uh, so I think it's only, only 18 people dead, uh, obviously about double that, uh, infected those numbers are, are um, not uh, hard numbers I don't have the hard numbers in front of me but it's somewhere around there so it's a small outbreak it's it's ongoing situation the interesting thing the, the point to be made here is that it looks like that outbreak has been caused by someone who had Ebola from the 2014 to 2016 West Africa outbreak. So if you remember back then, there was that giant outbreak of Ebola in West Africa. Since then, we've had sort of basically rolling outbreaks, small mini ones popping up every once in a while in, in Africa. But it looks like when they take the genetic sequences of this new these new cluster of cases in Guinea, they are really, really related, really strongly resemble the... Um, strain of Ebola that caused the giant West African outbreak in 2014-2016, which means that someone had Ebola and it was in their system for like five years, only to reemerge and cause another outbreak. And that is fascinating. That is interesting. Fascinating, interesting, and scary. Um, it points to, uh, or it suggests that we should be vaccinating everybody in the area for Ebola. Right now, the Ebola vaccines that have been developed are only used in uh, outbreak situations. So when an outbreak happens, they start vaccinating people close to the outbreak, the healthcare workers, all that kind of thing. But maybe people should just be getting the Ebola vaccine to prevent these, you know, sort of latent cases that just kind of pop up now. So this is the first evidence of this happening, the first evidence that it can last this long uh, in people. So the the study was done in academics um, by universities, and I believe a company did the sequencing and stuff like that. But the CDC has looked at the data and, and said, yeah, it, it looks like what they say it is. So really fascinating news um, on the Ebola front. Like I said, fascinating and um, terrifying in that it's uh, it's old. It's old virus. Uh, that's been kicking around in someone that's now popped up again. Fresh, brand new virus. No Dustin Hoffman from Outbreak. It's not fresh, brand new virus. Fresh, brand new virus. Wrong. Wrong. It's old virus. That's the update. That's the point. Um, and then again, to speculate, to bring that, to further speculate on what that means uh, in terms of other viruses. Yeah, maybe, you know, long haul 
uh, COVID, we find something similar that it can pop up again. You can become infectious again. Who knows? Uh, that is pure speculation. But now there appears to be evidence of that in Ebola. So we will continue to monitor that, monitor that situation because it's extremely interesting to me and I think relevant. Um, it will have, like I said, implications on, on vaccines, uh, who gets Ebola vaccines and when, how they're used. Um, again, rolling that back into COVID stuff with COVID variants and everything, we might also see that uh, booster shots for, for COVID vaccines become the norm. Maybe it's not like seasonal flu where you get it every year, but maybe it's like every five years, something like that. We get booster shots. I think it's uh, some of the companies are already looking at um, developing those uh, with the variants in mind. So there you have it, folks. That's your show for this Friday afternoon. Thank you for being here. Um, I hope that gives you some 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 things to to ponder over the weekend. Uh, get you know, it gets you all scared again about Ebola. Just kidding. Don't be scared about Ebola. Uh, but hopefully, it provides some clarity. Even though the two issues we talked about. Uh, there really is no clarity. The, the clarity is that it's a gray zone. The point is that it's a gray zone and it should remain a gray zone until we get more information and until we get more data. Like I said, hopefully um, politics has cal calmed down for a little bit and we'll be able to, you know, reassert the, the, the calm middle of the spectrum. Uh, I, I hope so anyway. Uh, and these are two issues that continue to come up uh, that are totally based on data and science and not politics, but have become the opposite. So there you have it. My takes, my takes on three uh, interesting topics, all viral, viral related for this episode. You can bring it to the bank and in a couple weeks, I will change my opinions completely and sit on another fence. You know me. Until then, reach out to us on Twitter at TooBradForYou. Uh, same handle on Instagram, TooBradForYou at gmail.com if you want to email the show. Uh, leave us a voice message. We will play it on the show. SpeakPipe.com slash TooBradForYou where you can find links to all of those things on our show page tobreadforyou.wordpress.com and that is where you will also find in the coming days uh, the references and links uh, sorry links to the references uh, that I use to give you this uh, episode. Thank you all so much for listening. I will catch you next time until then stay safe, stay healthy try to love one another you know, the usual bye for now <laughs>